The title of the message is The Day Death Died, and I love that. How many of you had a curiosity have ever seen that TV show, The Voice? It's a, it's a singing competition. And it's unique because the judges actually have their back to the person who is singing. And if they are mesmerized by their voice, of course they can't see them. You know, sometimes they can't tell whether it's even a male or female, but if they're mesmerized by their voice, they push a button in their chair and then their chair turns around and they come face to face with the voice. Here's the question we want to pose this morning. Is it possible to hear the voice of God? And what would his voice actually sound like? I mean, if the Lord sung a song to us, and I love songs, you know, lyrics and and melody and great choruses and moves you, inspires you. But if the Lord were to communicate to us, let's say in a song, what would this song mean? What would it tell us about him, about who we are, about his glorious plan? And is it possible then that we could like push a button in our chair and turn around and come face to face and have relationship with the Lord who actually made us. Here's the thing where we have to be really intellectually honest, okay? And uh, so glad that everyone is here this morning. The reality is, unless the creator who made us reveals himself to us, we have no idea who he is and we have no idea who we are and what his plan is. I mean, we're just kind of be lost in space unless the one who created us reveals himself to us. You know, one of the beautiful things in that first resurrection day is the Lord got so personal with so many. But of course, we just read where Mary had come to the tomb. She is so devastated. We want to try to get into her heart in a little bit, majorly disillusioned. She is not looking for a risen Christ. She believes, of course, he's dead. And that's why initially when the Lord is standing right in front of her, she doesn't see it. She just like kind of thinks it's the gardener. And then Jesus says, Mary. And maybe, maybe it was almost even the inflection of the voice, her, the inflection in his voice. And she's thought, whoa, I mean, I've, I've heard my name called like that before. And I just want you to know the Lord knows your name. And your name speaks to the fact of who you are. And I'm telling you, I'm convinced, actually, he's going to get really personal with you this morning. Why would I be so bold to say that? Because he's alive. Because we're not lost in space as if there is no plan, as if we're byproducts of mindless nature, but he created us and he loves us and he wants relationship with us. But here's the thing. For Thomas at this time, we read the narrative in chapter 20, he's not going to push his button. He's just, just, he's not, he's, I mean, the disciples are telling him, hey, he's risen. He's like, "Um, you know what? I'm not going to push my button, so to speak, and I'm not going to put my hope in Jesus as the Messiah, the anointed one, the king. We'll talk about what that means a little bit until I actually see, until I'm actually convinced that uh, he is bodily resurrected. Don't talk to me about a resurrection that, you know, you think you maybe hear his voice or a hallucination or a ghost. It has to be bodily. And even to the extent, graphic, I want to put my finger like in his side because this Roman soldier pierced his side, our precious Lord's side. And, and using that phrase, intellectual honesty, I have to tell you something. I applaud Thomas's uh, 
remarks, his stand. You know, I'm not going to believe until I'm absolutely convinced of the bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus. You know, sometimes Thomas is called doubting Thomas. Hey, there's nothing wrong with a few doubts, by the way. Uh, I think he's just flat out intellectually honest. He is wanting more information. And the beautiful thing is, ultimately, the Lord gives it to him. But what's behind the scenes here, check this out, is Thomas is terribly disillusioned. He's reeling in disillusionment. And disillusionment is such a bummer. I mean, disillusionment is when an expectation does not meet reality. You have high expectations, and then when reality hits, it's not what you had hoped for. And it might be in a relationship. You'd hope the relationship worked out, and it became a letdown. Or, or just more than a letdown, it crashed and burned. That's no fun. Or I don't know, you go to school, you get a job, whatever the case is, you have certain expectations, and it's just not panning out. That's a form of disillusionment. Maybe, maybe you're feeling that way this morning. Look, I've been there. I think we've all been disillusioned with life, living in illusion, become disillusioned by what reality is. Maybe you're feeling that way just with your life, how it's kind of unfolding. The reality is, is that there was major disillusionment here, and he's just like reeling. And he's like, man, I put my hope in the fact that Jesus is the Savior, the Davidic King. And he's been crucified, lowest form of execution in the Roman Empire. And for that to resurrect, for that to awaken in my heart, man, you, I just have to be convinced. As I said, disillusionment is a bummer. You know, they say about the millennials in our generation, no laughing manner, that they're the most lonely disillusioned generation in American history. They're connected technologically, but disconnected relationally. And disconnected to the meaning of life, Jim Carrey, the actor, tweeted, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed so they can see that it's not the answer. Okay, well, what is the answer? Um, well, Thomas is going to learn, actually. And he's on a journey. But I'm not so sure we can totally relate, though, to him, to the, to the depth of the disillusion, but I think we need to try. But in order to do that, we have to think like a first century Jew. You know, I mentioned this last week. Like, if we could just go back 30 years to 1989 and bring this back to 1989, right? And watch, we go, we go like this. Hey, check it out. Like, you know, people really short shorts, 89. I don't know. Anyways, they're back there. If they did, I can't remember. Anyways, hey, check this out. 120 gig. It's incredible. Touch screen. Internet. Access. Okay, like 20,000 books. They would be looking at us like, well, there's my menorah. They would be looking at us like, what are you talking about? I mean, the internet had not been invented. What's a gig? You know, it's like, what are you, a band? What are you, I don't know what you're talking about. Touch screen? I mean, you know, they wouldn't be able to relate. I mean, they don't have the technological framework, if you will, to be able to interpret this. So why am I saying that? Because... It's important that we do our best to go back to the first century and to get a type of framework so we can interpret the dynamics that are taking place at this time in Thomas's life. And so let me just tell you something. He had been following Jesus three years. He believes he's the anointed. That's what Messiah means or Christ. He believes he's the Davidic king, big term, the promised king who would make 
all things right, actually, bring justice, which is a beautiful term, or shalom to the world. And listen, uh, I mean, this is the calling of us as a Jewish people that ascended the of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that we would be a blessing to the entire world and that ultimately it would, trans, uh, trans, uh, it would take place in the, in the Davidic king or the son of David. And, and he's thinking, and we found him. My goodness gracious. Think about such a king who would make the world his kingdom, who resurrects the dead, who like pulls people out of disillusionment, who, has, who is accessible to those who are oppressed, who, who reaches out and touches lepers. I mean, wouldn't the world be, and this is kind of the thinking of Thomas, wouldn't the world be a beautiful place as God intended if such a king would make the world his kingdom? And that is a beautiful, beautiful idea. Can I hear an amen to that? It's like, really? Oh, far superior than any president or prime minister? I mean, we're talking about this most beautiful one who only does good. Oh, we want him to be the king, not only to bring righteousness to Israel, but to the world and righteousness to the Roman, to the entire world. But his hopes have been dashed at the cross. His expectations not met. But as I mentioned, Thomas's journey was not over and neither is yours. The Lord is a God of new beginning. And let that sink in. It's true. Because it tells us in verse 26 that Jesus met Thomas on the eighth day. Eight is the number of new beginning. And walking through the walls, he invited Thomas to handle him, in which Thomas answered, no small thing, we could pause here for a long time, my Lord and my God, whoa, whoa, whoa. And let me just say this. Like, maybe today is going to be an eighth day for you. Hey, maybe today will be a beautiful new beginning and new creation. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Hey, don't put it past the Lord. Nothing is too hard for him. I mean, here you have Thomas, who's like terribly disillusioned. His expectations not met, but now it's like, oh my goodness gracious, Lord, I, the, the chapters continue I mean, my life continues. And now what's happening is you're exceeding my expectations. And that is what takes place when we follow the king. So keep following him. Because he ends up exceeding our expectations and lifting us up out of the despair that we may be facing. Are you with me on that? Hey, look at verse 29 real quick. Jesus said, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed, but blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. Ah, the blessed ones, the ones that have the approval of the heavenly father are who? The ones who believe. Listen, the Lord wants every one of us to believe, to accept what is true, who Jesus is, what he accomplished, what he will accomplish. Now, the reality is you don't really believe what you don't believe is true. So to believe is to say, I believe it is true. And to do that, well, let's look at a few things. Let's check out the evidence. I mean, Thomas was looking for evidence. It's possible, impossible to note, or excuse me, important to note, that the tomb of Jesus was actually secured by the Roman governor, Pilate. At the request of religious leaders, 
due to a rumor that Jesus foretold of resurrection. So they were like, they went to Pilate and said, hey, can you secure the grave? Because there's talk about his resurrection. Hey, all we need to do is secure it for three days and we're out of here. It's over because that's the rumor that he's going to resurrect on the third day. And Matthew 26, 66 says, so they sealed the tomb, posted guards to protect it. And when they did this, here's what Rome would do. They would ensure the bodies in the tomb. So they affirmed that Jesus was in the tomb dead. Then they rolled a big massive stone over the grave. Then they tied a cord over the site of uh, the, the tomb and sealed it with a Roman seal, posted a guard. If you broke that seal, uh, you were subject to be put to death. Point is, no one is going to take that body. There's no way. You're not going to pierce that. I mean, that is flat out uh, impossible. I mean, you have Roman guards there. If they fall asleep, they could be put to death. But someone might be thinking, oh, you know, just something happened to the body. Yeah, he resurrected. But no, no, I'm talking about like maybe someone did steal. I mean, somehow, some way. Think about what would be the motivation. Well, would, would Pilate be behind such a thing, the Roman governor? Listen, they believe the emperor is the king. I mean, they're not going to perpetuate some myth that there's a Jew who is the king, you know, and you got to give him allegiance. So it just doesn't make any sense to say that Rome would be behind such a thing. Well, what about the disciples? Maybe they did it. Um, and then go throughout the world and give their life for what they know to be a lie? That doesn't make any sense. Well, the religious leaders, maybe they stole the body. They want Jesus in the tomb. They want this whole Jesus thing to simply go away. And it's essential to understand, you guys, it wasn't the empty tomb that convinced the original followers. It was the bodily resurrection of Jesus. It wasn't enough that, oh, there's an empty tomb. Oh, he must be resurrected. No, 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 no. That's what Mary's thinking. And which, by the way, she shows up as like, she's just out of love, wants to care for his body, hastily put in the tomb because of Passover. And and what is she thinking? Someone has taken his body. Goodness gracious, you crucified him. That's one terrible injustice. And then you, what? someone's desecrating his body? Show me where he is. I'll take his body. It's like she's not thinking resurrection. The Apostle Paul, who at one time, of course, was a staunch enemy of followers of Yeshua, the Lord Jesus, He ended up pinning that 500 witnesses saw Christ at once after his resurrection. And he mentioned 12 different occasions scattered over a 40 different uh, day period. Jesus was seen and heard. Were these visions that people had? Hardly. Jesus was touched at least twice. He ate with the disciples. His crucifixions were visible. Look, let's be intellectually honest here. How does John 3.16, which I think is the greatest statement in the history of men, Jesus spoke to a Jewish leader this statement, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, think king, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting, can someone tell me, life. How does that ever get off the ground? Like, a, like this space shuttle, how does that ever get launched from, from Jerusalem, from the epicenter of Jewish identity, from followers who are Jewish, believing that the king was actually crucified in the lowest form of execution in the Roman Empire, which speaks, you know, people who get crucified, they're, they're, they're the criminals. 
They're, they're the quote lowlights, if you could say it that way. It's not the nicest way to say it, but I mean, such a person is conquered, and he's conquered by his own stupidity. Hey, something radical happened. And history tells us that every apostle except John was murdered for their faith. And as I mentioned, people do die for a lie, but people don't die for what they know to be a lie. And Acts 4.33 says, With great power the apostles gave witnesses uh, witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. What's the evidence? Bodily resurrection. Hey, what's the evidence that Jesus resurrected? Oh, convinced a band of Jews 2,000 years ago that in fact he conquered the grave. Hey, can I hear an amen to that? And if we have air conditioning, I would love to say an amen to that as well. I don't know if someone knows how to turn it on. Okay, so what's the meaning of the resurrection? Hang in there, you guys, just, just another hour. Okay, no, just kidding. I'm on page, I'm just going to end page three, and I only got five pages of notes, okay? So, hey, listen, very important. What's the meaning of the resurrection? It brought clarity to what really happened on the cross, which one person said was the Father's amen to Jesus' cry, it is finished. You know, it's amazing what a little adjustment can make in perception. If you just if you just look at something maybe from a little different angle, ooh, I got it. You say, what do you mean? Well, track with me on this. Like the scriptures say, when Jesus was lifted up on that cross, there were those who passed by and they blasphemed. And they said this, wagging their heads and saying, you who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself if you're the son of God. Come down from the cross. In other words, Here's what people were saying when Jesus was up on the cross. You're a stinking loser, man. Oh, man, you, you talked big. Look at you now. You come into Jerusalem. Who do you think you are? You talk about the destruction of the temple. The temple, one of the great wonders of the world. I mean, think like pyramids type of stuff. 35-acre compound, incredible temple. You're a big shot walking around, destroy the temple, and I'll raise it up in three days. And look at you now. And they're mocking him. No, hey, look, flat out loser. And it's like, you know what? It's, you talk like that, just get out of that situation. Wait, time out, time out, time out. A temple is where the divine meets the earth. I mean, a temple is where God meets the earth. Yeah, there was a physical structure in Jerusalem called a temple where God uniquely dwelt. But Jesus was not talking about that destruction of that temple. He was saying, he is the temple come down. God came down, humbled himself, went from the complexity of a Mozart symphony to a three-chord country song, lowered himself, came down to us. Is that not beautiful or what? And he said, destroy this temple and I'll raise it up. Ah. So, so those boys walking, mocking him, they just, they, they were not seeing it correctly, but we are this morning. And then it says, likewise, the chief priests also mocking with the scribes and elders. He saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he is the king of Israel, let him come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. Pause here. With all due respect, that's a wrong premise. Jesus never came to save himself. They're saying, hey, we'll believe in you. Save yourself. 
Show us some great strength. Pop off those Roman nails. It wasn't those Roman nails that kept him on the cross. It was his love for every one of us in this room. No, it was the fact that he remained on that cross. It speaks of strength. He is conquering through humility and servanthood. That's real strength. He's lifting up every one of us in this room. He's lifting up the world by giving himself on the cross as payment for the sins of the world. You know, the Bible says the sting of death is sin. And it's almost as if you could say when Jesus was on the cross, he was being stung by every stinking sin in human history, the killing fields, the Holocaust, the murders, the rape, the racism, your sin, mine, and the sin of the world. He's like getting, he's just being stung all over. He's taking death and judgment upon himself that therefore death and judgment would not have power in our lives. It's like the story of this, this father and son driving the country road. I've told it before. I love the illustration, but they're driving along and this bee comes into the cab of the truck and lands on the shoulder of the boy. He's allergic to bees. Oh my goodness, if he gets bent, I mean, he could kill him. So his dad reaches over and just kind of, you know, just grabs the bee in his hand, retains control. His boy calms down. After a few minutes, he opens his hand. The bee starts flying out. Son says, Dad, why did you let that bee go? He said, son, like, he stretched out his hand like, son, I want you to look, look in the palm of my hand. He said, that bee can't hurt you because the stinger is in my hand. And 2,000 years ago, it's like our Lord Jesus took the sting of sin and death and judgment upon himself. And I say, bless his name. Praise God for that. It was a love rescue. And when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, we're told that he wept, deep convulsing, saying, if you had known even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace. When we hear peace or shalom, we think cessation of strife. But this term is big. He's looking over Jerusalem and he's like saying, man, you don't, you don't realize what the real dynamic is at play here. You don't, you don't understand. He's kind of like a doctor. You don't understand what the problem really is, and therefore, you don't have a clear understanding of what the prescription is. Like, I have a friend who broke his femur, and it was painful. And you can die from that. That's very serious. And... Uh, if he went to the doctor and just said, Doc, just give me, give me some pain medication. Everything will be, I haven't got to get out of here. I won't bother you. Just give me some pain medication. Deal with the symptoms. He would have died. I, when Jesus came into Jerusalem and when he looks at the world, he's not looking at it like, okay, you got, you got Rome, has like 40% of the Roman Empire slaves, demean women, uh, got corrupt leadership in Jerusalem. It's not all corrupt but the chief priests surely are. And, and you know, there's emptiness and there's, there's guilt and there's shame and there's fear of death and there's breakdown of family. Look, he sees all of that, but that, those things are symptoms of a core problem, which is a broken relationship with God. And there's a peace plan that the father has and it's in his son. There's a peace plan, a shalom plan that brings us in right relationship with him that then enables us to have right relationship with our fellow man. And that peace plan is in Christ. And please hear this. Look, I'll tell you what the Lord is totally after in your life, in all of our lives. It's beautiful, a love rescue. But his main concern is you are right with him. He, just, he wants to correct the broken bone. 
I mean, we, we're a culture, you know, that throws all of this, these drugs or whatever at the symptoms when the Lord is after the darkness that is behind the darkness. And Jesus said, if I'm lifted up from the earth, speaking of his uh, cross, I will draw all people to myself. And he was. On Passover, by the way, which was Friday, on the very day that 1,300 years prior, the children of Israel escaped enslavement there in Egypt. And that story was merely a prophecy of the greater exodus that Jesus would bring out of the enslavement of sin that would impact the entire world. You know, there's a story of a young man named Paco, and we don't have all the details, but he left Madrid, Spain, to be a bullfighter against the wishes of his father. And the relationship, you know, was frayed, and there were some terrible words, and you know how that can be in the family, and you regret and things. And then he heard that his son was depressed and going through a hard time, and he's thinking, man, how do I reach my son? He decided to buy an advertisement in the local newspaper called El Liberal, and the advertisement read this, Paco, meet me at the Hotel Montana at noon on Tuesday. All is forgiven. Love, Papa. Well, the next day, Paco was there, along with 800 other men named Paco, (laughs) who were hoping that, man, you know, the wrong could be made right. The like the break could be set and the healing could take place. Oh, that's such a moving story when I think of it. But it's like the, what the point is, is that the heavenly father sent his son and he says to us, meet at the cross. Hey, meet me at the cross. Of course, Jesus is no longer on the cross. But that's where he bridged the gap between God and man. It could be said with one hand, he reached up. He took the hand of the heavenly father. And with the other, he reaches out to every single human being. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. The false prophets of yesterday and today, well, they say, offer superficial treatments for people's mortal wound. They give assurance of peace, peace, when there is no peace. The second, peace, shalom, wholeness, justice, uh, setting the broken bone, making it right, defeating the darkness behind the darkness broken relationship with God, that is only possible in Jesus. And I say, that's really good news. But you listen, you're listening to wrong ideas, false prophets who would say, there's other solutions. No, there isn't. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except it be through me. Hey, when is the last time someone gave their life for you? Jesus gave his life for you. Can I hear an amen to that? Here's the temptation. It's kind of to pause And just admire this incredible story as though it's a work of art. Sometimes we go to the John Paul Getty Museum and Sefi and I just like, whoa, look at that. And you just see the depth and you're mesmerized. But then I'm like, after about three minutes, I'm like, can I have a cup of coffee? You know, it's just bad. You know, it's like, it's one thing to just admire a work of art. That, you know, beautiful, beautiful. Okay, this is like the Lord says, don't just admire me. Or, or, you know, sometimes we think of, of Jesus like he's a highlight reel. That we, in sports, man, that's inspiring. But he is inspiring. But he, he, he doesn't want to just inspire you. Or the temptation is to see him 
to see him like a philosopher, that he came and he really opens our understanding and gives us enlightenment. The reality is, he, he, he didn't leave those options for us to camp out on. He's calling us to follow him. You know, we have events in our culture and worldwide that are extravagant. We have the World Cup, we have Olympics, we have Super Bowl, presidential inauguration, but there's nothing more powerful, extravagant than the cross and the resurrection. And, and the Bible illustrates it in a very unique way. Paul illustrated in a unique way when he said, now thanks be to God who always leads us to triumph in Christ. This idea of triumph in Christ was a playoff of this monster procession, this public event of a Roman general who has conquered a land, who comes into Rome with his soldiers and with the people that he's conquered along with treasures and along with, with all, the, you know, all the money and treasures that they could rip off and having conquered the place. And this great procession, kind of like our Super Bowl, it's really, really big. It didn't get bigger in the, in the known world at that time. And what Paul is saying is like, oh my goodness gracious, like our king, listen, our king, who hung, bled, and gave himself on the cross, was buried three days later, resurrected, and didn't just resurrect to say, I prove, I prove to you that I'm the son of God, God the son, the Davidic king, established my kingdom. But as a demonstration that he's making all things new. And that he's leading this procession, and behind him is what he has conquered, what he's triumphed over, like death and addiction and guilt and shame and betrayal and breakdown and judgment. It's all been, and disillusionment. And the fact is, as Rand was saying earlier, I mean, no one in this room is like too far gone, okay, that the grace of God is not greater. Can I hear an amen to that? Just a flat out fact. And so it's like, hey, and what the Lord is saying, is, look, he's saying, I, I want you to join the procession. It's not talking about religion. It's not talking about following a pastor or being a part of this church. Uh, it's, it's talking about following the king and to step into the procession. You know what? There's power in that. Like, what do you mean power? Um, follow the king. Follow him. Like, step into the procession. He's inviting you into the procession. Oh, listen, hear him. Respond to that. It's like when Jesus, Jesus healed a man who was blind and it was down in, in, in David's city and in Jerusalem. And, this, and he put mud in this guy's eye. And then he just simply said, go in the pool of Siloam and wash the mud off and things. And I've often wondered, and he was healed. And if you ask the question, well, what were the nuts and bolts of that healing? Well, here's the thing. The guy listened to Jesus. He couldn't see, but he listened to Jesus he responded to him, which led to his healing to see. And the key to seeing and the key to experiencing the same spirit that resurrected Jesus from the dead, for which God has intended us to experience, listen, is to hear him and respond. It's like the voice. And the reality is we've heard his voice. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Messiah by the word of the anointed one. The question is, will we push the button? 
And listen, it's my prayer that everyone in this room does this morning. And, and, and here's what you need to understand. You want to understand that you got to take truth, and we've been talking about it. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except to be through me. He said, sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. It's like take truth, watch this, and then accept it, believe it, personalize it in a moment, in a space of time, and then make the choice. Like I'm going to step into the procession of the risen king who has demonstrated he's making all things new. And that is a flat out fact and everything is moving towards him. The second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why do I emphasize, listen, I'm almost done here. Why do I emphasize like, okay, you got truth, you got belief, and then, man, you got to make a choice. Because the Bible says he set before us life and death, blessings and cursings. Choose life. He won't force himself on you. And what ends up happening, please hear me, is that you have literally an encounter with the Lord who loves you and made you. You know, Jesus said, unless a man is born again, they'll neither see nor enter into the kingdom of heaven. Every one of us have biological DNA. The greatest moment in your life of change is when you were conceived in your mother's womb. That was the greatest moment of change in your life and your DNA was established. Now what he wants to do is he wants to give you his DNA. And once he does, he's given you everything that you will be. He is giving you everything that you will become. So the Lord loves you. He loves you. He hates anything that would undermine your highest good. And Father knows best. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. And let me just say something. You follow Jesus Christ, who is the king. Is it a narrow belief? Every belief is narrow. You, believe, you embrace Christ, though. What ends up happening is your heart enlarges with love towards your fellow man. You test the belief by how it impacts a person's life. So join the procession. Can I hear an amen to that? You want to join the procession, join the procession. And in a few moments, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. Because that truth plus belief plus choice, like, and what's the choice? What do you do? Hey, he really is just a prayer away. It's true. It's a, it, a, a prayer of faith. Like, Lord, I believe in you. Lord, come into my life. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. Be my God. My Lord, my God. You put truth, you put belief, you put choice together, you have a divine interaction. You don't have to know everything to take this step. I'm asking you to take the first step of saying, Lord, be my Lord, be my Savior, be my God. What a beautiful thing that would be. So let's pray at this time. Okay, let's bow our heads. Father, thank you for this morning. Lord, we love you. You're amazing. Words are not enough. But I want to pray, Lord, for precious friends here. And I ask, Lord, that in these next few moments that many would open their heart to you as Savior, Lord. And maybe, Lord, you're calling those who maybe have, you know, strayed a bit, but this morning is an eighth day for them. It's a new beginning. I just want to ask, please, can I have a private moment? I thank you so much. Um, I want to just ask, please, while our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, how many of you would say, you know, Greg, 
hey, this morning, I want to open my heart. I just want to pray to receive Christ. I want to leave here knowing if I were to die, I'd go to heaven. I want my sins forgiven. I want that settled. I get it. I want to take the first step. Hey, if that's you, just while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, would you please just raise up your hand? And by raising up your hand, you'd be saying yes. Yeah, that's, that's me. And I want that settled. God bless you. If you want, yeah, if you want to receive Christ, God bless you, man, I see it. I don't think you're going to be the only one. Nothing to be ashamed of. I'm not going to embarrass you. Hey, I just want to see, I'd like to see those raise their hand to whom I believe the Lord is speaking because in a few moments, I'm actually just going to lead the congregation in a prayer and I'm going to invite you to pray to receive Christ. So anybody else, if you would like to receive Christ, man, awesome. And if that's you, would you just raise up your hand? Man, you're not too young. You're not too old. We're praying for you. I got to tell you, seriously, there's, there's power in the response. And I'll just, I'm not going to drag this out. But it is important to respond. And you know, Jesus said, you're either for me or against me. There's something powerful about like going on record. It's me. I'm going to step into this. So this final moment, I'm going to just ask. You're thinking to yourself, man, that's me. My conscience says so. Man, I say we're stepping into this. So in these final moments, anybody else you'd like to receive Christ, you raise up your hand, and I'm going uh, to just acknowledge that. I'm going to lead you in a word of prayer. God bless you. That's beautiful. God bless you. You're sweet. Hey, listen, let's all stand. We're not done, but God bless all of you that raised your hand. What a beautiful thing this side is. What I'm going to do is I'm going to lead you in a word of prayer. Let's settle it right now. Hey, listen, if you mean this from your heart, the Lord will honor it. He will come into your life. The same spirit that resurrected Jesus from the dead make you his child. As a, as a church family, look, I want to invite the church family to pray as well as a way of encouragement to those who have raised their hand, who are standing here, who are going to pray. So you pray as well. But this is the prayer of asking Christ to come into your life. Be your Lord and be your Savior. So pray with me at this time, okay? This is a prayer of asking Christ to come into your life. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, I call upon you now to be my Savior and Lord. I know I'm a sinner and I need forgiveness. Thank you for dying for me. Resurrecting from the dead. Lord, come into my life. Fill me with the life of God. Teach me to follow you all the days of my life. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for coming into my life. Thank you for making me your child, both now and forever. Amen. Amen. I love it. Yay.